Hi, this is Ickes from RL Monsters. And um, I would like very much to ask you, if you don't mind, to watch um, the USAC Network with Tom Bruno and Alex. Well, that's all. I have to go flush myself now. I'm never going to go tired of hearing that the great, powerful Charlie Adler there on the intro. Thank you for that, Charlie. Uh, hi, guys. Welcome to You Sucks, What's the Difference podcast. I'm Alex Whiteley. And I am Tom Bruno. And today I I'm am very honoured. <laughs> I did it! Oh, you did it. You're, the, you're the only the second person to do that. Um, the first one, which was uh, Infidelic. So you're in good company. Well, I'm one of the yeah. greatest underground rappers of all time, and you, Niall. So good yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think that's that's the limit of our similarities by the sounds of things. <laughs> underground rap is kind of out of my wheelhouse. You're a talented guy. I bet you if you put your mind to it, you could absolutely accomplish it. Um, really quickly, um, obviously, we're speaking to Niall McCann. Um, you, you give the explanation because I want to get back into what we're saying because it's it's interesting. Alex, explain who Niall is. Well, Niall is an amazing explorer who has worked with National Geographic. And I've written this down as one of my questions, actually, is what is your official job title? Uh, because... Um, is it the, 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 the Director of Conservation for National Park Rescue? Is that right? That's that's my official job title. And then I've got a load of unofficial ones that kind of slot in in the background as well. Is wow. unofficial is official badass on there? Because I've seen your pictures and that's all that I can see when I, I'm like, wow, that guy lives an interesting life. I better go do something today. Like, I really feel like if you want to empower people, just send them a photo or two of yours. Be like, look at you. There's you parasailing. Oh, my God. There's you in the ocean rowing. Oh, my God. There's you frozen to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All these type of things will make <laughs> just you just feel like, enjoy a cup of yeah, 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 yeah. Just enjoy yeah. some coffee. Um, But before we start recording, uh, now you were saying that um, a treat in Honduras was a fast food chain restaurant. Can you please go back to that if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you're living in the jungle and you're eating rice and beans and nothing else for several months on end applebee's which is a low quality fast food chain from north america is cordon bleu food so anytime we come out of the jungle having a burger at applebee's or whatever it was 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 the equivalent of being a michelin star restaurant here in the uk <laughs> the best thing ever i look forward to it so much now is that because it's like a comfort thing like i, I understand like a lot of people when they travel abroad they tend to want to eat at places like mcdonald's someplace if they were at home they would never eat but right i would never go to mcdonald's at my home like, mcdonald's is gross i'd rather make food myself but when you're traveling abroad there's something comforting in catching a burger from you know a joint that you you primarily don't go to also some knowing that it's it's not only um well kept food right like everything is kept the same standards as they would be in most other countries and stuff is yeah. that how it goes or is it <laughs> or is I never it asked yeah like, no. well yeah i probably better not to ask i mean but... claws in this burger <laughs> you said yeah. cow did you mean crow i don't, I don't know what, is there a language barrier right now i don't know like yeah, i don't know what I'm the real reason too, was i think that comfort the... thing's a big part of it like when when you've been when you've been in the forest for a few weeks on end and you're eating stuff that's really, really basic, having something that does remind you of home is, is a big thing. Also, just like things that are really high in fat and high in salt, those are, are major pluses. So that, that, that's been the case for me on many trips. Whenever I've been away, long time, if you're away for a really long time and you're not able to go to a store to restock, you, you can't take that much fresh food. And the thing you miss most is fat and salt. And so that's when you get back, so like a whole 
tub of Pringles or whatever it is. You just want to muller the entire thing because it's just pure fat and salt. <laughs> that's, that's all you're after is those types of things. What are, you, what are you eating while you're out in the jungle? Is it ration packs or anything you can find? What's, what do you do? Uh, ration packs I've only ever used on kind of classic expeditions. So like the, the big row, the skiing, mountaineering stuff, have ration packs for that. Out in the jungle, it tends to be whatever the local guides go in for. So Duras, mm. that is uh, tortillas made out of flour and then mixed mix with beans and, and a, a really hard cheese that they have. And you have that three meals a day. Uh, out in, in Guyana, they go in for, for ground cassava and then ground of toast cassava. Ooh. So that's, yeah, that's pretty grim. And then you, we, we supplemented that with just whatever we could catch, either fish or hunt from, from, the, from, from the forest. And then, yeah, other parts of the world that have their own staple that they use, rice or whatever it is. I could just imagine, no. like, here we find the wild Snickers lying inside the hedge. <laughs> it's ready well, and that. eaten. So, so Snickers, <laughs> one, of, one, of the, one of my treats whenever I was away, if I go away for a few weeks, I'd always stock up on Snickers and, and have them in my bag. And my brother and I on this one, one trip into a, a really remote part of Honduras that no outsider had ever been to before. We were literally the first, first non-local people that, that these kids had ever seen. And they, I, they're looking at me like, what the, what the hell is that? It's like, it's a funny looking monkey. And listen to it sounds. And one of the things we had, was we had these Snickers with us as little treats. And I, we were we were living in deprivation out there. Really, really were proper starvation rations. And we came back from three days where we'd just been out in our hammocks and came back to this little house where we where we'd stashed our bags and our Snickers. And the kids from that house had stolen every single one. We we were livid. That was eight Snickers. That was going to last us weeks. That's cold. So cold. So cold. <laughs> so cold. Um, now, cassava. I'm. I'm probably. I'm very sleep deprived right now. I'm not. Also, just keep that in mind when I when I say silly things. Um, cassava. Isn't that? Don't they pulverize that to like harvest fish in the jungle? Isn't that? If I'm. Am I remembering yeah, that wrong? So you you are right. In some parts of the world, cassava still has really high levels of cyanide. In Thank other you. parts, it doesn't. Um, so in in Africa it doesn't, so you can see that as is. But in in Latin America it's still really high in cyanide. So uh, in order to actually make it palatable for people, you have to go through quite a, a processing uh, yeah. situation in order to get all the all the cyanide out. But if you have it raw, pulverize it, chuck it into the water, then fish will rise to the surface because they're they're poisoned by the cyanide. Cyanide yeah, metabolizes well, really fast. So um, seventy two hours after after it's in in the body, it's it's all completely gone. So those fish are safe to consume after a relatively short period of time. Mm, and has a lovely taste of almonds as well. So yeah. if you're looking for a nice nutty flavor to kill yourself with, guys, cyanide. It goes. <laughs> um it's it's um I don't know. I, I've never been that much like I love traveling and I completely agree with you, like especially when it comes to like not um, not just survival. Like let me compare my resort staying to your survival, Nile, if you don't mind for a second. I was okay. in Jamaica and I was on a very nice sandals resort. They had all the nice foods, it was very, very nice and everything. Um, and one night, because it's Jamaica, I was partaking the local uh, <clears throat> culture, and I was very, very hungry. Go figure. So I went down because they offered food twenty four hours a day. You could either order food, blah blah, but they had like this buffet tray of like chicken, 
black beans and rice. And it was, it was phenomenal. And I was like, Oh, what, what's going on over here? And what I found out was that when all the day chefs went home, the night chefs would come in and they all cooked the local cuisine. You know, it'd be like, um, it'd be plantains. It would be black beans and rice. It would be jerk chicken, anything like that, that they've been, that they grew up on. That's what they made. And I loved it so much that I would skip out meals so I could get to the end of the day, chicken and rice and beans. And my family's like, you're not eating. We, we spent all this money on this nice. So I'm like, fuck your food. I want this. This is amazing. And the locals tend to know best, right? Like they know uh, which is what's in season, what's going to be the best for your body. They know that at this time of the year, the humidity level is this, and your body probably needs a lot of this or whatever. So it's always best to listen to locals. There are exceptions. (laughs) I I have made the mistake of listening to the locals, and my stomach has regretted that severely. where the, the, the western stomach is not adapted to the local food and yeah you you suffer the consequences oh my god i bet i imagine um can we go back to your job title um because mm. i'm very interested is what it is that you actually do because i think it, i mean i know what you do but i'd like to explain the listeners of what your role is in the world yeah, so my main role, as you say, if, if I had a single job title, it would be Conservation Director of National Park Rescue. And my job with them is essentially to run the entire organisation. Me, me and one other person do the majority of the of the running of what is an organisation of about 35 people now. We've got a couple of people that are solely on social media and, and that type of stuff, that, so we don't have to touch that. But when it comes to fundraising for this organisation... The two of us do that almost exclusively. That's about a quarter of a million a year we need to raise. We've got a team of 30 people out in Zimbabwe that are working in anti-poaching and all of the other things that go along with that every single day. They need managing. We do a lot of government liaison here in the UK and abroad. That needs managing. That needs doing. And then down to all the little things. You're buying new little badges for the team and all that type of stuff. But When you set up an organisation and you're relatively small, even if you are the director, you end up doing absolutely everything. Um, and yeah, so w- when we do grow, if we, if we are lucky enough to grow enough and, and have lots of people working for us, no one will be able to get away with anything because Mark, my co-director, and I will have done every single aspect of their job <laughs> before and, and, and know what it's like. I, I work for a guy like that, <clears throat> um, really nice guy named Bruce, and he's going to listen to this episode. Hey, Bruce! Um, and the thing that I learned, <laughs> the thing I learned to respect about him, me, I was like, ah. <laughs> yeah, you're like mm, Alex Wiley, yes. Um, no, I work, for, I work for a really nice guy named Bruce. Well, I used to. He's not really my boss anymore. Now we're just kind of coworkers, which is awesome. It gives us a whole different level of relationship at work. And um, at first, I thought he was just some guy telling me what to do. I was like, uh, should I listen to you? Do you know what you're talking about? But then, like, the more you talk to him, he's like, oh, I started off on this job and I moved my way up to this. And then now he's, you know, the supervisor of where we work. And you're like, oh, so the reason that you can tell me how to do these things and the reason you're so confident behind what you're saying is because you've done all the little jobs and worked your way to the top. And that's why you have such a grasp on what you're saying. And I think that's very, very important. It's something that a lot of people don't get because they find the easy route to get there. Yeah, if you're parachuted in, you, you, you wouldn't understand the culture or what it's taken to get an organization where where it is whereas if you've if you've done the nitty-gritty if you've done the cleaning or anything else that it is for that organization you understand every single part of its mechanics how it works and what, what makes it tick and what's important to it and with, with with me and mark i think that that's the case we 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 were there at the very beginning and i expect us to be there at the very end very nice, nice, nice. i love it and what what's the what's the goal what what is it you want to achieve with National Park Rescue, what we would like to achieve is to make safe for wildlife and make productive for communities as many national parks as we possibly can across Africa. 
So our, our remit is to identify national parks that cannot cope with the poaching crisis and to try and rescue or resuscitate them, for want of a better word. The reason most national parks can't cope with poaching is because of a combination of disengagement of communities and then really poor management and, and law enforcement, so a breakdown in law enforcement. And what we do is try and rectify both of those. So, so you engage the communities and you implement very, very sound law enforcement to make sure that you're seen as a hard target so poachers don't want to bother with you. But you also have to massively get the communities on side. A any community that lives near a national park they're the ones that see opportunity costs. They're not allowed to go into that park to hunt all of these things. Therefore, they should be the ones that receive the most benefits from it. And for us, what we try and offer is employment and commerce straight off the bat. So everyone that we hire will come from the local communities unless we need some, like, some very specific skill which, which can't be found in that local community. As an example, in our current operation in Zimbabwe, we have 30 staff. 23 of those come from villages that literally border the national park. Seven come from a few miles further afield because they have specialist skills that we needed to try and recruit. So that's that's the key: is recruiting the community into the into employment roles, so that their, their livelihoods are then dependent upon that project. And then commerce: anything you need to make that park work, you should buy from the communities. You should not mm. be shipping in from overseas. You should not be shipping shipping in from cities elsewhere. You should buy everything you can, be it wholesale wholesalers or growers primary produce, whatever it is, you buy everything you can from the communities. So there's a flow, an interdependence. They need you and you need them. Love it. Oh, um, I like that. Now That's I, a very Shrewsbury thing for me. <laughs> keep it in the cup. Like, keep it in the loop. I, I feel like that's a really big thing right now. It, like people are starting to grow a much larger appreciation for, you know, staying local, which sounds kind of crappy, right? It sounds like, like no, I don't want to buy from other places, which isn't really necessarily the case. What you're saying is, no, I want to support my local shop owners. I want to support my friend down the road. I want to support the farm where I get the pigs from, where I get my bacon from. You want to do that because it keeps a, a really healthy dynamic inside of your inside of your town inside of your culture it's it's a good thing i think in a lot of cases now i see like a lot of um when, when i see or when i think about like people trying to uh keep poachers away i've seen a lot of people that have been doing things like cutting off rhinos horns and stuff to like basically say hey poachers so we took away the only reason that you would want to kill this rhino um in your face is that something that you guys do or what do you guys mean by you uh you try to you know thwart poachers yeah we don't do that and I, I, really, I think it's, it, it's just backfires. <laughs> Evidence, really? Yes, that any poacher that's going after a rhino that's already spent three days tracking it and then finds it, with it without a horn is going to shoot it anyway. And that's what happens. Oh. So dehorned rhinos have been killed at, at just as high a rate as, as rhinos with their complete horns. Just out of spite? At, partially out of spite and partially because even a stub is worth a lot. So unless, unless you've dehorned it really quickly, like they grow back at one to two kilos a year. So that's quite a lot of, of growth each, each year. So, so unless you've just dehorned it, there will be some growth. And at the moment, price of rhino horn is somewhere in the region of $60,000 per kilo once, once, once it makes it to the, to the end markets. So it's a really valuable commodity. So if you've got even a bit of stub, they're going to shoot it. But there have also been spike killings. So the, the, the horn hasn't been touched, but they're killed out of spite. And like, these are the guys you're dealing with. They, they, these are not nice people. Very, very different to like a, a, a bushmeat hunter who's just trying to feed his family. If someone's mm. going in with a scope and a high-powered rifle after rhino to sell on to a Chinese middleman, 
This is not a nice guy. And, and, and they are the types of people that need policing. If they weren't doing wildlife crime, they would be de- doing other types of crime. Right? These are people that are criminal in their, in their countenance. They're, they're, how they make their living is through criminal means. And wildlife crime is low-hanging fruit because it's really high rewards and really low risk. What we have to do is make the risk high. So we nice. train our guys very, very well. We make sure that we, we spot people before they come in, i.e. you have a decent network of people in the communities that are going to let you know if there's, if there's any bad guys around, any guys about to come in. You make sure that you've got really good ability to detect anyone that is inside that park, and you make sure that arrests happen. So our arrest rate in two years went up by 550% when we first started. So that's pretty serious. Now, what I want to see is that arrest rate come way back down again because if, you, if you've got a really successful conservation project, no one nearby wants to go into your national park and do illegal things. So what I expect is that when, when, when we start, you see a massive increase in arrests, and then that should completely tail off. So mm. then the important thing for, for us to do is to make sure that we're still able to reward our, our rangers, even though they're having lower numbers of arrests. Like we, we give them a performance bonus, and that performance is based on arrests. But if arrests are going down, You've got to make sure you know why they're going down. Are they going down because the performance is reducing? Or are they going down because actually this project is hugely successful? No one's coming into the park to look for elephants again. That's where understanding the real dynamics of your project is very important. And you can make sure that your rangers are rewarded for the effect that they're having overall as opposed to for individual actions. Mm, I like that a lot. I bet Pete Postlethwaite would get jumped on. As soon as he walks into a <laughs> into a natural park, <laughs> I want to get me a T Rex. Yeah, what a I great guy! Oh, my God, um, I want a T Rex right now. See, I, I like that a lot on a, on a multitude of reasons. One of them being that you should reward employees. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure you'd necessarily call them that, even though that's what they are. You should reward employees, even if um, that the the reason that initially that you're starting to reward them is because hey, you're doing a great job. You're arresting all the bad guys that you possibly find, and now that there's less bad guys, you're still putting in the work, you're still putting the effort. But we're not going to treat you any less like you any less important because obviously you're still doing your job. And I, I respect that a lot. And I also, um, I, I had a question though. So you said Chinese middleman is, is that what primary rhino horn is still going for is for Chinese medicine? Is that what it is? Uh, medicine is one of the uses, but actually more common is just as a, as a trinket or a sign of disposable wealth. I, if, if you've got a Porsche in your front yard, that's a sign of disposable wealth. And it's something that neighbors are going to go, wow, that guy's got a Porsche. They shouldn't, but, they, but, but, but people still do. And, yeah. Rhino horn is used in the same way in, in parts of Southeast Asia. China's the principal market, but Vietnam and other countries are also heavily involved. And so if I were to invite you guys over for, for, for some drinks at mine and I wanted to show off how, how wealthy I was, I might grate a little bit of rhino horn into your aperitif just to show how wealthy I was because that's $60,000 a kilo that I'm grating into your, your G&T wow. or onto your soup. And then if I've also got a, like a, a stub of rhino horn carved into something on my mantelpiece, man, that makes me wealthy. And I've got a, an elephant ivory behind me as well. That's that's cost two thousand dollars a kilo, and I've got this full ivory here. So it's, it's to show off. It's 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 just a, a, a status symbol, and it's pure greed, which makes it all the worse. It's it's disgusting. It really is. Mm-hmm. You see my face. I don't think I've ever snarled like that on this podcast with cameras looking at me ever before. And I work with Tom Bruce. Like I'm just <laughs> wow. I'm, I love him. I love him. I love him. Um, how do we? How do we um, help conservation in a world full of idiots? That's exactly how I've written it down here. How do we do that? 
Yeah, well, I think I have to understand that conservation is something for everyone to do. So previously, everyone thought, well, conservationists is for, is for guys with PhDs who are well-trained biologists, and they're out there doing this. Well, really, conservation is for absolutely everyone, because every single decision we make in our life has a knock-on impact on conservation. The, what you buy in terms of what you're eating has a knock-on impact on conservation. What, what you... Uh, do as an employee what you do for your living has a knock-on impact on conservation how you vote has a knock-on impact on conservation because conservation is massively broad like deforestation is conservation deforestation is the single single fastest driver of pandemics so the other thing that's doing it is the wildlife trade another thing of conservation we are currently living in lockdown as a result of a breakdown in conservation and if that doesn't make you interested in being a conservationist then nothing will mm. I remember, um, I remember that they used to sell zoo books. Um, they used to be like the big '90s commercial in America. Like, and every time that you'd you know participate in buying zoo books, which would show you know showcase your favorite animals across the safari or what have you, um, a portion of that would go to conservation. And like, I always made sure I'd be like, "Hey, mom, dad, not only are you gonna get me something I want because that's what the TV says I want it, um, but also it's gonna help animals across the world. So you should definitely take part." And it was like a really cheap and effective way for my parents to feel better about themselves, as well as letting their kids learn something about you know lions and tigers oh my um i i i mean like in like where i live like the conservation is primarily like um like fish like a lot of our waterways get kind of like a little filthy but luckily i live in a very nice place like i live a very very up north where um you know fishing and hunting are very very important so people tend to really look after the local wildlife so we don't deal with a lot of the problems that some people do across america um <clears throat> when you when you do these uh con when you when you work on conservation like what's the one thing what's the one small thing that you could tell people that they could take part in in like a daily basis that would really kind of like help everything along eat a little bit less meat Ooh. <laughs> just, you don't have to go vegan don't have to go vegetarian just eat a bit less meat if you have one fewer meal per week of meat you are having a massive knock-on impact on deforestation yeah. and on other aspects of conservation as well. So wow. the biggest thing we can all do for conservation and for climate change and for your own health, red meat's not great for you, eat a little bit less meat. Simple now, and now does that speak to like, I mean, because I, I would agree with that in like the sense of like factory farming, like, right, because they, they you take huge plots of land, they just shove so many animals all together, and it's really kind of cruel and inhumane the way they treat these animals. Um, and I'm not a big fan of it, but luckily up here, once again, huge vast amounts of area we have tons of tons of room for all the animals to be and everything is kind of bought locally so i feel like there's less of an impact on um on nature than it would be some other places so you're saying that if um everybody if everybody was to just maybe cut out a meal maybe even two a week of some red meat that would really kind of benefit what your cause sir it would be the single biggest thing you could do for global conservation and climate change mitigation is cut out one or two red meat meals a week. Uh, in, wow. Where you are in, in Vermont, people are buying locally. That's fantastic. But most, most places don't buy locally. And even if you are buying locally, a, a cow, the amount of water it takes to, to, to rear a kilo of beef is significantly more than it does to rear that same kilo of, of lamb or of chicken. So again, the, the choices you're making on, on meat. So I eat meat. I eat meat almost every day. I, I, I can't remember the last time I ate beef. And the, the big reason for that is that beef is just way worse for climate change than chicken or pork wow. or fish or, or whatever it is. So, so thinking about what meats you eat and then reducing your meats a little bit is going to make a massive difference. It also does make you healthier. Like red, red meat's not great for you. <laughs> Even if it's bought locally, it's still 
high in carcinogens and it's really high in fats and all these other things. Eat a little bit less, a little bit less meat. Have a bit more vegetables, and you will be healthier and you'll make the planet a, a better place. Well, I had chicken for dinner. <laughs> good job alex i'm, I'm patting you on the back right now you are you are true conservationist you're almost as important as nile down there Dude, you're just doing this, your job I'm doing my thing you know order from the chinese a chicken um, that, um i know i'm such a bad boy um look um i, I mean I, I invited you on here as well just to talk about you and i want to find out how you became you how did nile mccann become the, the adventurer the national geographic the guy that's on tv the, the guy you are today um what was what was young Niall McCann like? What were you like as a kid? A bit nerdy. <laughs> yeah, nerdy's cool. No, nerdy's cool. Grew up in Shrewsbury. Mainly grew up in Shrewsbury, and my parents. I was really really lucky that both my parents valued education a lot, and they were both really into biology. So they they, they both done degrees in biological sciences. My dad had done zoology degree. My mum had done biology geography joint honours. So they were really into biological sciences. They both been professional biologists as well. My dad worked in Antarctica for the um, British Antarctic Survey. My mum had worked all, all over for various organisations and various universities, wow. etc. So me and my brothers, we were, from a very young age, we, biology was just a, a part of our life. And, and being out in the open, in the, in the outdoors, looking for wildlife, engaging with nature was, was a part of our life. But when you're at school, you're just a normal school kid. You, you go to school, you, you, you do well or you don't do well, you play your sports or you don't play your sports. You don't really think about that, that bigger picture. It's, it's slowly as you're going through, you start to realize that actually my, my priorities are, are clearly quite different to a lot of my schoolmates. And I, I think that, that started to be most clear around GCSE time. So after my GCSEs, uh, so age 16, I went off and started doing volunteering in wildlife projects. And that, that was definitely unusual. My, my, my friends weren't doing the same type of thing as I was doing. And then straight after my A-levels, so, so aged 18, I went and spent four and a half months volunteering for a conservation project and then and did some travel and some more conservation work. So, it's, so at that, that age, it was clear that I was starting to take this a little bit more seriously than, than, than many of my contemporaries. But I think if, if you were to ask my schoolmates... Is, is that guy going to end up being a National Geographic Explorer? I think they would have said, no way on Earth. <laughs> no. I don't think any of us... Yeah, exactly. I don't think any of us ever turn out the way that we assume that we're going to. Like, I, I remember one point um, I was working at IBM, uh, uh, it's a microchip manufacturing plant. And as a child, my dad, you know, provided very, very well for, for, for us from IBM. Um, and he had three kids. And I was like, man, I love I love my dad death. But I'm never going to be that guy. Never in a million years. And then, you know, I'm like 25 years old working at IBM, having three kids. And I'm like, oh, I'm exactly my dad. And I just didn't realize when that exactly occurred. But somewhere along the way, I became him so that's that's good too i guess but yours yours is phenomenal and it would seem that exploring would be in your blood then if your your father took play uh took part in the um in antarctica and what, what was your mom doing exactly i'm sorry i, I geological mum has worked all over from east africa to honduras and many places in between but it goes wow. back a generation before that as well so mum's wow. dad my grandfather uh, was the director of the arctic institute of north america he was professor of geography at McGill University in, in, in oh. uh, Canada, in Quebec. And there are parts of the Arctic named after him. He won the Founders Medal at the Royal Geographical Society and lots and lots of other medals and various other things over, over the years. When my mum was 14, she spent six weeks, her first big expedition was six weeks in, on Baffin Island in the Arctic of Canada as the camp cook 
for an expedition <laughs> run by her dad with all these kind of grizzled explorers. And, and that was my mum's taste of, of exploring and adventure at the age of 14. Bloody, bloody extraordinary way to grow up. And so it was instilled in us from a young age. We, 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 we had stories when he died when I was two, so I never, never really met him, never, never consciously. But we, we heard about him and then... Friday, Friday night, Dad would get the old slide projector out and show us photographs, uh, slides of his time in Antarctica. So we, we grew up with all that and mum's stories from East Africa and all the other places she'd been working. So it was, it, was just, it was just natural. What it meant for us, really, I think the big difference was that there wasn't a barrier for entry to doing these things. Whereas for a lot of people, it seems really foreign. It seems unusual, seems out there, seems like the type of thing that someone else does. Whereas because my, my grandfather and then my parents had been doing these interesting things, it was just natural for us to, 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 to get into that. And like my parents' friends were all biologists who'd spent time in Antarctica or the Arctic or wherever it was. And, and, and so there just wasn't a barrier for entry. It, it wasn't unusual for me to think I want to go and work in southern africa or, or central america or wherever it was because that's that's what my parents just just made open to us they just they, they removed that, that that boundary and and just yeah the world was our oyster and, and i think that's that's a real gift that they gave us we, we we were very lucky enough to speak to jordan romero who's like one of the youngest americans to climb mount everest who's a great guy but he caused this media circus when he did this because he was like 16 when he did it. Mm. Was he 16 or was he 14? 16, wasn't it? Uh, 13. He was 13 when he started it. When he started the trip, I 13. think he turned like 14 in the midst of climbing Mount Everest. It was it was insane. People started screaming uh, child abuse. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, it was just a, a media circus because how could you do this to children? Like, make them go on adventures. Like, that's what you want to do at 13, isn't it? You want to go and... I always wanted to be um, Kevin Costner in Waterworld, climb up that ship and like, slide down the sails <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You want to you want to have web feet? That's what you want. You're yeah. like, I just wish I had web feet. I just wish I could swim fast. From Shrewsbury, probably has web feet. Yeah. It's in the seven. It's in the seven. Yeah. I mean, that must be a kind of intimidating and kind of also, you know, awe inspiring to have a grandfather as accomplished as yours. Does that kind of play when you go on these expeditions? You kind of like, what would grandpa do? Or, I mean, unfortunately, you didn't get to meet the man or at least know him as well as you would probably want to know him. Um, does that kind of play in your head when these type of scenarios? Or is it more so like, well, I'm me and I live up to my expectations and that's how I kind of go about my business? That transition took a, t took a while. So I think you're very right in that. To begin with, it's, it is quite intimidating to have a grandfather that's got a shitload of medals and this amazing background, and then even to have to have mum and dad and all the things that they've done. That that is quite intimidating, and that feels feels like a burden to be carrying for a while. But it didn't take long when I first started getting into these. Like the first big expedition I did, I suppose, was straight after my A levels, age eighteen. Spent a month cycling over the Himalayas with my dad and one of his friends, and. Maybe at the start of that trip, I might have felt that I was trying to keep up, but but at the end of the trip, I felt that this is me. This is this is what I love doing. I love everything about this. Here we are. We're in northern Pakistan. There's, there's no one is here. We've we've just cycled over the highest paid pass in the world, the Kundrab Pass. It's me, my dad, and a friend in the middle of nowhere. I love everything about this, and so it stopped feeling like a burden, and it started feeling like I was carrying the torch, and that's then continued ever since. Wow, amazing. That's awesome. Yes. That's amazing. Why couldn't I have been friends with you when I was a kid? That's <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> what, what you wish for, right? Dragged quite a few friends of mine up mountains and terrified them over the years. 
<laughs> the are, feeling... are you still in Shrewsbury? Because I'm saying I'll come, come around the corner. I'm in South South Wales these days, so so yes, d- different. Can't come across the border. I've Can't come across the border. You're safe for now. Mm. Don't worry. <laughs> there's what there's quite you... the. Yep, you go first. Right. You first. No, I'm going to segue. So I'm going to okay. So. Um, there, there's quite the feeling to you know achieving things outdoor, and it has it has a completely different feeling than when say if you were to go into work, do something amazing, and I'm speaking more to my work, not yours, obviously, Niall. But like if I was going to work and do something great, and I help the business, oh, cool. There's a, there's quite the feeling, but there's a completely different feeling than when you do something like climb a really tall mountain and you get that feeling of accomplishment and you're like oh i did it and i pushed myself to my boundaries my physical boundaries whatever it might be my mental boundaries and i accomplished this goal and this is where i am now and i get to look at this beautiful thing and i really can appreciate that you going on that really you know very long very hard bike ride to set that and at the end of it you come you come back as like a different person almost you're like all right this is who i am now and i realize that this is why i'm doing it not because somebody else you know um some intangible uh, grandfather figure is is pushing me to do so. This is me. I'm Niall. I love that, man. I love that a lot. It took a while uh, and it wasn't guaranteed. I'm sure a lot of people have done this. In fact, I, I've got friends of mine that they've done big expeditions because they felt they should because their friends were doing it or their parents were into it or whatever. And, and they've gone out and they've hated it. They've hated everything about it. And and it's because their motives were wrong. They, they, were, they were doing it out of expectation, whereas you should do these things because you want to do them. Beautiful, beautiful. How do you okay? So, I mean, you've had this, um, this upbringing that where it's kind of all comes natural to you, but when you have to go on an adventure, when you have to go on an expedition, say your first ever real adventure by yourself without your family, how do you prepare for that? How do you get yourself ready for it? Yeah, interesting question. So, psychologically, you don't really know how you're going to respond to something like that until you're in it, and suddenly you are away from home for however many months. So it was the longest I spent away from home when I was relatively young was 10 and a half months. And that, that, that was traveling around. So it wasn't, wasn't doing hard expedition stuff. I, I was traveling, but I was away for 10 and a half months w- w- without the, the yoke of mum and dad being there. And you just don't know how you're going to respond to that, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I remember a, a really good example of this. When, when I rode across the Atlantic, I did it with a, with another friend, me and my friend James. And by this point, when was it? It was 2007, so I was 26. And I'd done a lot of trips away by this point. So I was very familiar with being away and not really knowing whether the next mission was going to succeed or not. I was used to being apart from my family, used to being away from the country. James wasn't. James, the longest time he spent away was a couple of weeks in Magaluf on a party with, 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 his, with his friends. So he hadn't really spent time away, certainly not in a situation like that where you're, you're, you're rowing a very small boat across, the, across an ocean and you might not get to the other side. And so James... When we first, when we left, it was very interesting to watch him capitulate psychologically within 24 hours of having set off, basically, just, 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 just be expl- explode. Uh, in, the, in the lead up to us doing it, he, he would spend a lot of time just standing up to his waist in the ocean, just looking at the horizon, trying to psych himself up. And I remember thinking, that doesn't look great. <laughs> looks like he's getting pretty stressed by the, by this um but just assumed he'd be fine because he was a phys- he was a monster physically and ma- amazing athlete and, and so so great person to have on the boat but just as we set off his dad handed him uh, a bunch of envelopes with, with letters inside and it must must have been a dozen or more and uh, it was from all his friends and all his family and it would say like read this on christmas day read this on new year's day read this on your best day read this on your worst day etc 
he read every single one within the first 24 hours of setting off. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he reread every single one every day for the next 63 days yes. that we were at sea. So, so he, he, was, he was psychologically unable to cope with what we were going through. Like he, he went into, you could describe it as, as, as a manic depression. Um, so, so at times he would be going through his mania. So, so it's like whooping and, and, and making really strange sounds. And like, like super happy, super excited, but like fully emotional. And then he would cry, like go s- sweep down into his depression. So he was s- cycling between mania and depression, literally like two or three times a day for nine weeks that we were out there. Wow. So that, that, that was quite interesting. Now, how do you keep... <laughs> yeah, exhausting. Yeah, and yeah, how for do you... Him, for him, but me, me, me too, but it worse for him, obviously. Well... Obviously, but I mean, like, how do you keep your cool in a situation like that? Because you invited this guy to come along with you for obviously being a peak uh, physical specimen, obviously your friend, somebody you trust. And you're like, oh, you'll be good in a boat because you can help me row and get across our goal, which I want to ask you about more in a second here. But how do you how do you deal with that situation? You're like, oh, no, I brought a crazy guy with me. What am I going to (laughs) do? Yeah. So for the first eight days, um, because so uh, the shift that we we decided that we were going to do was that one of us would row for an hour while the other one rested. Get, got some sleep or just or, or just rested and then you switch the other one rose while you rest 24 hours a day so one hour on one hour off 24 hours a day which means the most you sleep at any one time is 48 minutes for uh, the only time we had any more sleep than that was when we we weren't able to row at all because of because of the weather the, the winds and stuff so we'd throw out a parachute which which catches the boat and keeps you, keeps you stuck in the water so you don't move anywhere and then we get some sleep but otherwise you on your regular shifts you, you're, you're not sleeping for any more than 48 minutes at a time and so for the first eight days, your body's just broken. It's like, what, what the hell are you doing to me? <laughs> so your, your body cannot cope with that, essentially. So any, any spare time, any spare emotion, any spare energy is just going into surviving. Whereas after eight days, it just kind of clicks. It's like, right, body's, body says, this is what we're dealing with now. This, this is my new routine. One hour on, one hour off. Okay. So then I stopped being so knackered, stopped being so emotionally drained, and was able to actually give some energy and some attention to James. And I remember... Yeah, all I did was when, when we switched, he went in and I and I and I came out. Um, we we were previously normally just grunted each other, and then he'd lock himself in the cabin, go to sleep, and, and I'd go out and yeah. row for an hour, and then we'd grunt on the other way. This time, I, I just I just said, "How are you doing, mate? Tell me about your dogs," because he I knew he was planning on buying some dogs when we got back, and he, he then told me about Flex and Lucy, the two dogs that he wanted to buy, and 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 that then sparked a conversation. So what we did thereafter every single day for the rest of the trip was one hour each. We would choose a conversation topic. So day one was, was James's dogs and whatever he asked me to talk about. So each of us would get to choose. And then we just, we just chat about it. So one day I learned all about every car that James had ever owned and all the intricacies. He loved his car. So he told me all about that. And that's how we managed it. So we, we talked through for, for two hours a day, one hour topic each, just something to take us back home, take us away with it. And, we, and that's how we managed it. Nice. Where where did you cross? Um, Alex has done. Alex does all the research for this thing. Once again, I woke up like ten minutes before I came to the interview. I worked all night, so I, I kind of rolled up in this. And Alex, like, you do the reading. And I was like, no. Um, so where did you cross? We started in La Gomera in the Canary Islands, and we finished in Antigua in the Caribbean. Is wow. that the same the same route that um, Kelda Wood did? Because I, I don't know if you know. Kelda yeah, Wood. more or less. So so. Because Kel did it, what, two or three years ago. So it's possible they shifted the, the, the finish line. So some years they finish in Barbados, some years in Antigua. I'd I, I need to check exactly where Kelda finished. But but she would have done a very, very similar route. 
Because she, I've got to introduce you guys to Caldwell Wood sometime. She's amazing. She's been on the streets with Biscuit before. Uh, she's one of my heroes. She's amazing. Uh, and she did it single-handedly. She did it single-handedly. Um, and uh, whereas, whereas you had a partner. Is this the picture you sent me here? Is that, the, is that what this is? Yeah. That, that's, the <laughs> middle of, that's the middle of the day. So, so You can see how dark it is. Just we're being absolutely smashed Looks by rainstorm. miserable. Dude, that's insane. Now, the question uh, uh, I was going to ask you attached to that was, would you prefer to have done it by yourself or were you happy to have a partner? Because there's a whole shining element there, isn't there? Like- <laughs> good question. I, I, would I prefer to do it by myself? It's, I, I definitely envy the guys that are doing it alone. And there's, there's something special about it. Like, there's definitely more kudos to doing that type of thing by yourself. So, so there's an element of that. But there's also that amount of time in solitude. It can, it can either send someone properly mad or it can be wonderfully serene and give you an amazing amount of time for reflection and i think i would really enjoy a long solo trip sometime and so what's when my my daughter's a bit older and and doesn't need doesn't need me around all the time maybe she goes to uni and my wife will definitely want me out of the house maybe yeah. I'll, do a, I'll, I'll do a long long solo trip i think it would be yeah I, I would love that just just leave your phone behind and just just, just you and whatever physical challenge you set yourself now, at any point, did you think to yourself, you're like, hmm, I beat the Titanic, going across the Atlantic Ocean, I did it by myself, I'm the fucking man. Um, <laughs> we, we, we tried not to think about the Titanic. It's yeah, 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 for obvious reasons. Not one in your mind yeah, when you're <laughs> Shut up, I'm trying to roll. Um, now, what kind of safety precautions do you take in, a, in an experience like this? Because that's so incredibly dangerous. I mean, obviously, putting down the parachute to create the drag so you wouldn't like go way off a course and end up you know in australia or something like that mm. i mean what kind of safety precautions do you gps what what is it yeah so on board we would we had a gps that we could see when we were rowing and then another one inside the cabin we had uh, a radar reflector so any uh, any ship nearby that um that, that had a radar on should see us ping that that should beam to them because you're tiny it was a seven meter yeah. long boat 20 like 22 Whoa. foot boats it's teeny tiny and Every now and then, some big boats would go past, and you'd just be, you'd just be matchwood to them. Uh, and you hope they've got their radar on so, so, so that you ping as the radar reflector. GPS for us, compass as well. So, so using both, we had maps just in case the, the, the GPS failed. We, we literally had charts and, and a compass so we could figure all that. We'd done our um, sailing qualifications beforehand, so, so, uh, which, which were quite, quite important, and our first aid at sea qualifications beforehand. So, so we, we, we could use a sextant if we needed to like if it came to it i don't think we would have remembered how to, how to do it but we, we written <laughs> it down in a notebook notebook somewhere we had a life raft on board we always tied ourselves into the boat by by our ankles so we had an ankle leash mm. with, like it's a surfboard leash type thing when it got really 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 hairy you put two ankle leashes on just in case one snapped. <laughs> and yeah it did get really really hairy a few times like massive massive seas breaking over the back of the boat and that's all pretty unpleasant well because i've seen videos of like big you know ship liners going across the ocean like some of those waves are just so bad this slam down they're going underneath waves how do you deal with something like that being in a seven foot long boat yeah you shit your pants (laughs) 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 simple as that wow amazing oh Um, my god i feel like we're taking a real good journey through uh for your life right now and you've sent me some amazing pictures uh, i thought maybe we could uh, spend a bit of time talking through them um, sure. so uh, so where where was this 
That is in Chisarira National Park in Zimbabwe, which, which is the park that my team are currently working to resuscitate. And this this that's unbelievable nice, yeah. gorge, that's, just, that's the same place, same gorge, um, leads all the way wow. out into the communities. And yeah, you can walk the entire way down it, following the footprints of lions and elephants in the bottom. It's absolutely stunning. Phenomenal. And these rangers here, they're looking very menacing, by the way. But I bet they're yeah, so this is, that's, that's in Honduras. And I, I've, wor I've worked in quite a few parts of Honduras. I've done anti-poaching work in two places. One of them is quite low level, so the guys don't need to be armed. Like just them being in the forest is enough of a deterrent to the local people because the local guys, it's just, it's just local poachers. Whereas that, where they're working, the guys that are poaching jaguar and doing illegal plantation of palm oil and stuff, they're the same guys that are running running cocaine up that border. So it's, it's your yeah. narcos. So in wow. order to go out, whenever you go on patrol, you have to take the military. So those three guys are navales, so, so naval militaries and marines. And when when we, we pick them up, and there were three of them, and uh, my local NGO mate went, that's not going to be enough. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, we got... We got three guys, and they said oh, we're going to need we're going to need another. And there wasn't another one spare, so we just we just went for it and went with three. And we did end up on a Mexican standoff that day. <laughs> so, yeah, got got a little bit tasty. How do you deal with that shit? <laughs> just everybody backs off, nice and calm, and every, and no one loses face. <laughs> wow. And what do you mean? So you were you were walking up the trail, what have you, and then you run into some people trying to do some bad, and you're just like, hey, wait, and we is were that on how that went? Boat actually, yeah. So, oh, so okay. we we were patrolling this coastline, and then up up the mouth of a river, and it, and into this area, and then out on foot and all that type of stuff. And then as we'd gone into the mouth of the river, we'd taken up a load of illegal fishing nets that were literally crossed the entire river mouth. So anything going in and out was getting caught by it. It's completely illegal. They're not allowed to do it. And they know. And we'd taken all these in. And then we'd gone up the river for a few hours. We'd been patrolling there. We'd come back. And as we came back, two guys were stood on the side of, 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 of the riverbank. And they hailed us over, um, basically to complain that we'd stolen their river nets, their, their, their fishing nets. And mm. we were there to explain, well, we haven't stolen them. We've confiscated them because what you're doing is completely illegal. And it's inside a national park. And even if it wasn't inside a national park, you can't do that anyway. And as we were chatting with them, kind of looked over and further out just towards the mouth of the river saw this about a dozen guys sprinting from land on to grab their own little boat and then they they shot out into the center of the of the flow so our way out had to go past them and i could see that they were tooled so as they're coming towards us these like lots of guys in honduras wear guns but these guys these guys are wearing guns as they yeah. came towards us the three three nevales the three marines just 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 stood up made it very obvious that our weapons were automatic those guys were just carrying pistols and then just everyone slowly parted so we we went out the river the river mouth and they they, they followed us at a safe distance and then once we were out we, we jetted off and they went the other way but it was a bit wow. tense for a while wow i can imagine wow. someone being yeah yeah that's right bitch and you're like no <laughs> <laughs> neil shut down shut up <laughs> just stop we had been patrolling we, we'd been patrolling that day and we, we'd gone over this this kind of uh this ridge and down into an amazing bay kind of half moon bay beautiful kind of tropical scene where the forest comes right down onto the beach and there was a, a, a yacht and like a private sailing yacht uh, maroons so beached up on the on the beach there uh which had been pirated by by probably the guys that we were <laughs> that we were seeing but by by some of the people that are there so it was a, a u.s registered yacht private yacht two guys 
And yeah, the yacht had been, had been pirated, everything had been stripped off it. The two guys survived. They were quite lucky. They spent three days in the forest and then they were found by a local kid that, that took them out and, and got rid of them. But all their stuff was stolen. <laughs> yeah. So that's the type of place you're dealing with. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, wow, moving on. <laughs> I had to move on, but we run out of time. Um, here is you uh, facing uh, the jaws of death here, crocodile. Yeah, that's a Nile crocodile in Uganda. And I was there working with the Uganda Wildlife Authority to remove crocodiles that had been taking people and cows. Uh, so the community that we were working in had suffered nine attacks in the previous two years. Um, so se several fatalities and then several other, other injuries. And the week before we got there, uh, a young girl, eight years old, ha had been down at, at the river's edge watering her cows. And a crocodile had taken a cow from literally, like, literally next to her. Like she was standing next to this thing. The crocodile came out, nailed this cow, took it in. So she, she was a foot away from being, being got by this crocodile, got the cow instead. And then we, we set some traps and we caught two. We caught the first one was 10 feet and 11 inches long. And that was the one that we think nailed the cow because it was caught literally right there. And when we caught it, we, we, we tied it up. That little girl came down and, and came and stroked the crocodile and then, then hugged us. And a family came down and hugged us. It was this amazingly emotional moment. And then we carried it out through the swamp. And I was carrying this thing through the swamp with, with, with those guys. And I said, lads, we're, we're kind of we're wading up to our waist aren't there any more crocodiles here? And they went, yes, yes, many crocodiles. And so the next day, 24 hours later, 24 hours later, we caught that one, that one that you saw, which was, which was uh, 4.65 meters long, probably in the region of 800 kilos. So all, oh, just under five meters long, just under a ton in weight. And we caught that directly opposite where we'd been wading up to our waist saying, oh, are there any other crocodiles here? So yeah, that guy was there watching us. <laughs> so, a, so we a living him. dinosaur. You were holding it by its neck is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. And then, so we, we took it to a national park and then you, you un untie it and release it. So then it spends the rest of its life living out there way away from this community that had been terrorized but then so not molesting them but then not being molested by people as well so it's a bit of a it's a win-win for the people and, and for the crocodiles and it's awesome that the uganda wildlife authority go in for that mm. amazing amazing um I, I, there, there are three i want to save to the end but so i'm going to move on with your with your adventures so there's these ones here um penny fan highest mountain in south wales so i'm, I'm on the mountain rescue team the brecon mountain rescue team and we spend a lot of time up that mountain pulling people off that have done their ankles in or had some cardiac issues or whatever it is and that was a nice. uh, one of those happy days where it's four seasons brilliant. in a day so, so two minutes before it was it was completely blue like blue sky lovely and sun then smashed by a hailstorm and then it was snowing and then blue skies again it was one of those awesome days you should wow. come to uh, vermont we call that tuesday because yeah. literally yesterday, uh, yeah, it's been 70 degrees the last three days. My window's open. Alex has been seeing me go through like cabin fever essentially because the winter's been really harsh this year. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but the thing is, it's supposed to snow again tomorrow. So I don't know. Fuck me, right? I'm envious. I'm envious. I wish we had some here. Oh, dude, come on. Come we on over to Vermont, man. Jeez, it was a nightmare this year. Snowed like three times. Yeah. You guys did so much better. We, we, had, we, had, we had one weekend of snowfall. That was it. Was wow. Wow. I'm so sorry for you. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I can't complain about the weather because then they'll just go and jump outside and disappear in snow. But like, shut up, Whiteley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got more before. snow here. There's uh, there's this beautiful picture here. <laughs> yeah, that's proper. 
Yeah, so that's yeah. skiing across Greenland. Uh, same this same is, as that. that. That's a few days later when the ice has come off my nose. I know, yeah. right? That's that's like that's GQ worthy. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's where that's where the rock got the smolder look from for Jumanji. Uh, yeah, picture. You look at it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's amazing. Photography. Like uh, my my, my uh, friend married that photograph. Where's this? This looks amazing. That, that's with my, my brother Finn, and we spent two weeks in a part of eastern Greenland, fly, f just climbing up mountains with no names and flying off them. Uh, so it's wow. just just an unbelievable place. And it was amazing. yeah, just the two of us in our, our little tent with a polar bear trip wire set around the tent, just just in case. Uh, sleeping with a with a rifle between us, and then mm. in the morning go off and climb something and fly off the summit. So the big, the big mountain you see in the background, it kind of in the middle, uh, uh, top, top left above my yep, brother's yeah. head. We flew mm -hmm. off the very summit of that and wow. uh, down, down into the valley, 1.2 kilometer vertical drop in about four minutes. Wow. Who's that flying there? Is that you? Or is that your that's brother? me. Yeah. So the, my, my brother's wearing a GoPro and that's a, a, a frame grab of the GoPro me, me flying in front of him. Wow. Amazing. And all backfired so, in the long run. It was it, like that was an amazing sport, and then eventually, I, doing that, I broke my back and uh, spent thirty-eight days in hospital. And yes, and can't do that again. This is what I wanted to bring up last. Um, and please forgive me, by the way. Um, you sent me the picture of you and your family, and I was I wanted to add that onto it. Uh, I'm really sorry, but um, here is here's the here's is that where you crashed right there? We're looking at yeah. mountain right now, yeah. yellow circle. Yeah, awkward place to have landed. Yes, look at that. I mean, you as mountain rescue. Right now, probably look at that and think, "Yeah, he's fucked, mate." <laughs> that's that's what they thought <laughs> when really they came and found me. Yeah, um, look wow. at the X-ray, um, Tom. This X-ray, I looked at it. I was like, "Yeah, I, I know, I'm a doctor. I know what that is. That's definitely a broken back." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's my rig. That that's what I have in me and will do forever. So the the thing in the middle is a new vertebra. That's a titanium vertebra. Where the one that I used to have there. Uh, was wow. obliterated in the words of the surgeon. Uh, so literally, yeah, burst exploded. There was basically nothing left of it. According to the X-ray, when when I first went into hospital and they had an X-ray, they said that the, the bones from that vertebra were indistinguishable from the surrounding tissue. That's that's how <laughs> pulverized it was. And then I'm also pinned. You can see I'm pinned for, um, between five for my vertebrae as well. Yeah, I was going to wow. explain to the listeners that I'm watching this on YouTube now. Um, we've got the uh, the X-ray here. Uh, I feel like a doctor explained this to you. And from sort of like the lungs downwards, there's just this ladder of steel pins and, and rods and stuff. And, titanium. Uh, titanium. So, so it doesn't rods. go off in airports. Uh, it's slightly disappointing. You have that. You, you, you would hope it goes off in an airport. So it at least tells someone the story. But no, it doesn't go off, unfortunately, because it's titanium. I broke my finger one time. It, it was really painful. It, I, I couldn't you. bend it. I couldn't you. bend it for a week. It was so oh. bad. I couldn't write. I mean, it was such a bad thing. I couldn't hold my pipe. What a horrible life I live. Mm. It was my tiny mm. violin. <laughs> very well played i must say that's uh it's way the concerto um uh, sorry so yeah, Alex, there's, ahead, there's more pictures of you in hospital and how long did it take for you to to learn to sort of walk again and, and rehabilitate yourself yeah well, that's, i'm still still improving five years later but wow. i was so totally on my back for 19 days and then after 19 days they stood me up. It took th like th three people, one behind, one on either side, get me to stand up. And that was, so that was day 19. Stood up, literally took two steps to the side, sat back down again, lay down, passed out. That, that was just too much, too much effort. Day 20, oh. stood up, took kind of four steps forwards, four back. 
day 21, walked to, to the end of my room and back, day 22, out of my room, and then just each each day just went a little bit further, a little bit further, migrated off the Zimmer frame onto crutches, and then down to one crutch, and then just holding the crutch but not using it. And I finally came out of hospital after 38 days, and on that the day before I came out, I walked the entire length of... The, the longest corridor in that hospital, which is the second longest corridor in any hospital in Western Europe, as, All as, right. as it happens. So it's about 800 meters long. I walk, walked that 800 meters without touching my crutch to the ground. So that was, that was a big win for me, day before coming out, to walk 800 meters without a crutch. But I was still, I still buggered for two or three weeks after coming out. I'm really, really unwell. I'm not able to move very much at all. When being driven around in the car, going over any speed hump was just was absolute agony. So I was, I was still struggling quite a bit. But then 17 weeks after the accident, so three and a bit months after the accident, I walked back up the top of Penavan with my brothers and with Mountain Rescue. And the helicopter that rescued me flew onto the top, landed on top to say hello. And we, we went to the site of my accident, which was, which was awesome. So that was, yeah, I tried to get back as quickly as I could. It took me a while. I wasn't very quick, but it was great to be back up there, back on the horse. As, as expected, but now when you get to the longest corridor, do you plant your flag with like your hospital gown on there? Be like, I made it here. It's Nile. And then you're, then you're just like jumping a helicopter. That yeah. is amazing. What yeah, a story. With effort past that. <laughs> I was here now um, because we're running so short on time. I, I, I want to ask this last question to you before Alex goes into it. Um, I wanted when I when I grew up, I wanted to be a, um, a, a National Geographic uh, video photographer underwater like i always wanted to do that that was something and of course things change as you get older you know hobbies change blah blah blah. if you know very fortunately you had parents that were involved in the type of career that you end up choosing choosing excuse me how would you recommend the normal person like say me or say some kid that's listening to this podcast or watching this youtube video um how would you recommend them trying to fulfill this destiny how would you recommend them getting into this line of work or would you recommend it at all I don't recommend it if it's what you really want to do. I think the most important thing is just finding whatever you're passionate about. If what you're passionate about is tax, do tax. If what you're really passionate about is wildlife, then get out in nature. Take your camera, take some photographs, look under a rock, see what's there. I think the most important thing is, is to follow your passions and don't feel pressured by parents or people around you or, or other things to do something that doesn't mean anything to you. You've got to find that personal meaning. And if you're finding personal meaning, you will then also, by proxy, be giving back. Because people that are fulfilled personally are also then going to be better people in the community as well. If you're unfulfilled personally, you're not going to give anything back to society. So if it's biology, great. But if it's not, that's fine. Whatever is your passion, just stick to your guns and follow it, man. That is by far the best answer we've had to that question ever not to let me don't ask everybody about national geographic but like <laughs> what do you want what advice would you give that is amazing thank you most most of all we get just do it i mean that is essentially <laughs> nike nike is always the person that answers yeah. just do it it's like all right we just get it nike fuck do you. it do it do it um amazing. i haven't had time to talk to you about the um Akavango mystery of the elephants uh, i haven't had time to talk to you about lockdown or what you got planned um, I haven't even talked about how you got into National Ge- Geographic and how you started that career. Um, but I almost did it on purpose, if that makes sense, because I, I said I had this idea of maybe doing a couple of shows with you. Yeah. Uh, like Almost steal off our, our Yusuf cousins, brothers, and do like Chronicles of Niall McCann. We could do like 
volumes one, two, three. What do you reckon? Would you come back on and do like part two of Now I Can? It's always good to keep the audience wanting more. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I got to say now, I, I've, I've, we've been so fortunate to speak to a multitude of people. We've spoken to so many people, and it's been so great. And everybody brings in their own little thing. And Alex asked me like a while ago, who would I want to speak to? And I kind of gave a rough uh, description of you without knowing who you are or anything about you. I was like, this is the kind of person I want to talk to because these are my interests. And he brought you. And I am so enthused. I, I don't know if you can feel the radiation coming off of me of how exciting this was for me and how much I really, truly enjoy this. But you were just tremendous. Sir. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, very kind of you to have me. And very nice of you to say. Thank you, guys. We, we've got the uh, the guys from uh, Smash Life in, in, in Shropshire to thank for this. Um, so I'm wearing they introduced me. By coincidence. Complete- oh, my God. It's so weird. Product placements. Um, that was, that, was, um, that was not I, on purpose. I just happened to be wearing that today. Amazing. amazing. Uh, so thank you to the guys on Smash Life for introducing us. And we will get them on the show as well because I think what they, the work that they do when it comes to uh, adopted kids uh, and uh, domestic abuse and problems with kids going forward um, is very important internationally. So I'd love to get them on to talk about that. But yeah, um, Niall, you've been amazing. Thank you. Where can people follow you and follow your adventures, sir? Yeah, so my, my, my personal website is nilemccann.com, nice nice and easy, and I'm Niall P. McCann on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way to, fo- to follow me as well. Uh, I'm, I'm not a hugely regular Twitter user, but but I use it enough. You get the occasional nice photograph and um, the, the, the occasional commentary on global conservation issues. And yeah, I'm, need to. I'm, if, if people want to write to me, they can do so through my website. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining us. What we tend to do now, Niall, is we let our guests go. And uh, we, we do a thing called the Later Lounge where we, we're going to geek out about probably Justice League or something uh, now. Um, but, Niall, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will, I'll be in touch straight after this so we can start a part two because I really want to do it in a few weeks uh, and we can do we can find out about those the later parts of your life. But, um, everybody, now I can. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. Thank Thanks, so Tom. Great to meet you guys. See you later. Thank you very much. See you. Right. Here we go. It's time for the Later Lounge. Hey, look at that. The only thing that's missing now is a bit of pink in the... Oh, hey! Look at that. Welcome to the Later Lounge, guys. Like I said, the... uh, the way I put it on Instagram earlier is, yeah, the carpet is a bit sticky, but this building's got character. Okay, it's got character. Just sit down and enjoy your gin and tonic, Barbara. You know, um, amazing. Yeah, to Lounge, the best crummiest nightclub in, in podcasting. How are you, buddy? You good? <laughs> a lot better after that. I was so tired coming into that interview, and I just, I'm just so like full of energy now that was an amazing guest well fucking done sir you fulfilled everything i could have possibly asked for and niall was just so interesting my god he was interesting and i feel like we got like i said i feel like we got a third of what he is so i'd like to get three parter out of this mm. <laughs> keep talking Bring- niall. keep going another story yeah, yeah. Another- we got to fill a whole trilogy here mr mccann <sighs> uh, but you know that was amazing yeah i agree i couldn't care completely it was a great wow. Movie. Wow. 
the thing. I mean, it doesn't make you feel him again for the biscuit as well. (laughs) Oh, fuck you. I'll just show up and be like, hey, Niall, it's me, Tom. I don't live in Shrewsbury, but I'm here anyways just to continue talking to you because you're just so fucking interesting. My God. The thing, like, doesn't that make you feel a tiny bit unaccomplished, though? Just a little bit. Like, I'm not saying that we don't do good things. We're parents. We we have the podcast. We do lots of fun stuff that, you know, uh, we extend ourselves artistically. But, like, when you talk to somebody like that, you're just like, fuck, I don't do enough. Yeah, a little bit. I realized I didn't do my old. Well, oh, hey, sure. Welcome to the late yeah, yeah, this is hey, what makes it the later lounge, the pink light. Um, no, yeah, I, I really, agree completely. I'd really like it if a bunch of like white stuff popped up on your face when that, um, when the later, you know, because it's all dark and it looks like it's a purple light on you, like a, like a UV light of Halston just semen is showing up. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were you doing before it's the show? Dust. It's donut dust. <laughs> <laughs> It's so delicious. Let me just, let me just get it. Oh my god, that's fucking phenomenal! What a good, good, good time, man. Oh man, so this means um, so you guys don't know this, but we're not recording on a normal day, so that means we will not be recording on Saturday. But you guys will be able to catch us on other shows. Me and Alex have uh, linked up on some other channels. Um, Adulting with Donnie being the one that I'm going to do on. I think maybe Jason Almy and uh, Rochelle will be there, so that'd be cool. Um, Alex, what are you doing Saturday? Uh, more than Saturday, I'm doing loads. Um. Forgive me if I don't get all the names right for the podcast, but I literally just signed myself up for everything. Um, so I, <laughs> it's been a crazy week actually. Really, has okay. I'm gonna go through the whole week that I've had and what I've picked up. Okay, so uh, yesterday morning I woke up to uh, Yes Magazine, which is a worldwide public publication. Be like, we want to do a piece on you. Can you please do? It? And I was just like, you want to do a piece on me? You want me on Yes Magazine? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. Uh, so there's, there was that. Um, <laughs> You're going to mention your friend and partner, Tom Bruno, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I just brought on two uh, great photographers, and they were like, we'll do the, the photography if you like. And I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. You, you guys, I told you, man. You guys are my, my D12. I'm taking you with you. Uh, yeah. I then uh, found out I got the, the, the I got the, the voice role for Treasure Island, which is the audio drama I, I auditioned for. Yeah, what's that all about? I saw your message and I was like, whoa, what's because here's the thing. If you go back a couple episodes, Alex was saying that we should probably do something like this. I'm like, well, that's not really what I want to do, Alex. I'm not a voice person. You are. He's like, well, I think I'm going to apply for a few things. So you obviously applied for a voice acting role and you got it. Where where is this? What is it? What's going on? Um, I I said I said I was going to do this and I did it. I went because I I struggle with auditioning. Uh, for things okay so it's, it's a bit weird I, I don't feel myself worthy i don't feel myself worthy of doing these things but i am i think i'm all right i'm not too bad at what i do right and um so after charlie adler came on i said i was going to do this and i uh, i did it i i applied i did loads of different roles um i've even been getting voice roles from Ant mcginley remember Ant mcginley the podcast yeah. og like uh, i want you to do an insurance salesman and um i did that that was a bit of fun. And I, I did loads of different versions of it. I did the Cockney guy. I did the very posh guy. But I did the guy from Chicago. You want insurance? You got insurance for you. You know, I did loads of different things. It was fun. Right? Anyway, so I got this role. The first thing I did was I wrote to Charlie Adler because um, I wanted to thank him because he is the inspiration behind this. Spoke to him. And I was like, I want to do this. Um, and so I sent him this email. I said, um, hi, Charlie. I just want to say thank you. 
You inspired the shit out of me when we spoke. I know we can speak well out with Charlie now, so I said, <laughs> I said, I have been wanting to try and break into voice acting for a long time, but never had the balls to audition. After speaking to you, um, I thought, what the heck, and just started auditioning for bits. Well, I landed a fun role in uh, an audio drama adaption of Treasure Island. It's a small role, but it's a start, and I couldn't be uh, more thrilled. You're the best, Charlie. And he responded with, it's such great news, Alex. Bravo. More to come for you, I hope. Keep showing up. Cheers, Charlie. What a guy. What a mm. guy he is. What so- a guy you are, dude. You, ah, I love that so much. I love the fact that you're like, I want to do this. This is something you've been very passionate about ever since I've known you for fucking three years now. You've always been very into acting, very into putting yourself out there, and you've always been throwing out the funny voices and just trying to like add a little bit of character to our talks, and you turned it into something, which is fucking amazing, dude. So what's your role? Are you allowed to talk about it? Um, it's um, what's the, what's the part? Dick Johnson. I don't know how big the role is, but I went and bought. I haven't read Treasure Island since I was about ten. I don't remember it. Uh, I remember the uh, the prequel, Black Sails, because I that's the that's the uh, the the, pot, the the reason I knew I could do voices is I could do Captain Charles Vane. He has this very sinister voice yeah. in there, you know. I'm Captain Charles Vane. Cut his fucking head off, and he had his penis out all the time. <laughs> so what? Go, oh man, this guy is like oh, he's he had this massive dick, and they were like, we want this dick just on the camera all the time. And that's pretty much what Black Sails was. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm gonna read. I'm going to read Treasure Island to find out how big the role is. I don't care, honestly. I applied for main roles, middle roles, loads of things. About four different voices I've tried. Anyway, so I've Alex, I got that news. I've, I've, had, uh, I've had Treasure Island in my uh, Audible queue forever because I own it. And I'm going to listen to it now. I'm going to put it on tonight. I'm going to start listening to it. Name, what's your character's name again? I'm going to write this down so I can be like, that's who Alex is. Who are Dick you? Dick Johnson. <laughs> nice is a great name. joke, by the way. I love that. It's a Victorian book. And that's... It shows me that Victorians had a lot of good humor. All right, so Dick Johnson, it's, it's, who? Um, it's, I think it's Georgian, actually. I think it's pre-Victorian Treasure Island. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the role I'll be playing, Dick Johnson. Um, so yeah, listen out for that on the book, Tom. Let me know when you find it because I'm going to read it. I've got the actual book. I ordered it. <laughs> Sorry, guys, gonna... so I had to get it quickly. <laughs> I'm going to get the erotic. I'm going to get the erotic version of it. Like, so you are the gayest pirate there is, and you slay many of pirates with your sword, which is also your dick. Them um... They call me <laughs> Dick Johnson, which you <laughs> can call like... me Albert, Prince Albert, <laughs> baby. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> oh my god, it's fucking amazing. Um, so yeah, I woke up to I woke up to to to, to them to do great things. Um, wow! But then I sat down and I literally I, I messaged everyone. I was like, I want to go on podcasts. I want to do like four or five shows. Later that day, I heard off the BBC uh, Radio Shropshire. They wanted me to come on on the hot the cool chair. It's called the cool seat or the cool seat. So I'm going on on BBC Radio Shropshire. Um, Steve Rook in touch with me wants me to go on Toxic FM as well. Um, nice. And then I'm going tonight. I'm going on to Kate Wallinger's show, who's a friend of ours. She's come on our show before as well. Uh, Ignorance was bliss podcast. I'm going on there. Um, I'm going on one to talk about beer with some American chaps, and uh, another one to talk about the movie Warrior. And oh, there's okay. One, there's one more to talk about. Uh, it's, it's called Don't Assume. So they they look at like uh, things that you should just don't assume about. They, they told me this great story about um, oh, what's the profession? Different professions, different things. They went on about the last one they did was about British people. Just don't assume 
and people like this are British people like you know that's it's a great show so we're going to talk about podcasting and they're bringing me on as a podcasted expert I was like what the fuck <laughs> so yeah well you know you put a couple of years into it I guess that would you know kind of like once again it's funny because if you would have said you know I, I didn't like calling myself a podcaster when I first started I thought I was kind of a fake phony because I knew nothing about it I, I didn't have any put time put into it but after three years so many guests and you can see the growth right if you listen to the first episode and even going back even further with you and jimmy and thorskin if you listen to the first episode of that to where we started together there's a growth right you can chart the growth from where who you were to who you are now and then even more so when you start from right there to where we are now because we are light years ahead of where we were right like we are nowhere near the people that we were when we started and now we're just these Guys, and when I do refer to myself as a podcaster nowadays, I say it with confidence because I'm like, no, I put in the time, I put in the effort, I know what I'm doing, and I would agree with that. I would agree. I would agree that you're an expert podcaster, Alex. Very well done, my friend. I feel like I've fucking been so lucky. Well, I don't know though because we've had we've had good times and bad, really bad times, and we've had really good times. You know, we've been through it all pretty much. You know, guest cancellations, drops in or uh, in listeners. <laughs> Changes of franchise, like in all sorts. We have been through quite a bit, to be fair. In all honesty. But does that say we're successful or that we're just uh, tenacious as fuck? Uh, I don't tenacious know. as fuck, which should be the name of the show. Um, so here's <laughs> the thing. I... Uh, I, I, we put ourselves out there, right? Like we, we wrote out and said, Hey, we have availability this uh, Saturday. If you want to put me on the show, I'm not going to say who it was, but if you look at the thread, you can kind of figure it out for yourself. I got asked my least favorite question of all time. Do you, did you happen to read what that was by chance? You don't have to read it right now. I'll tell you what it is, but did you happen to read that thread? Uh, no, go again. Go, go, okay. Go so uh, the question was like, I was like, Hey guys, fucking blah, blah, available, all this type of stuff. And somewhere along the line, someone said, what's your listener? What's your listener numbers? Yeah. I yeah. yeah. And I, I, at first I really wanted to just be like, wow, what a shitty fucking question to ask because they, they vary, right? Like some days they're really amazing. Some days they're not that great, which is fine. And we don't do it for that. Like we, at first it was all about, Oh, how many listeners we got? Oh, like that was the big tra- problem when we, Stop doing Thorskin is because we took a really significant number of listeners and we traded in for something that meant more to us. And I think that translates now into the, the quality of shows. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, pigeonholed into talking about whatever it is we have to talk about. We talk to whoever the fuck we want, whenever we want, and it's making much better content. And that's something I'm proud of. Like eventually I'm going to sit down and be like, kids, look, I got to talk to now McCann with me and Alex. It was fucking amazing. We got to talk to this person, that person. And it's a Billy great West, quality show. Billy West next Next week oh my god so we have these amazing guests that are coming on and i don't think it fucking matters what your listeners are. and the fact that that person asked me that question i really want to be like why don't you go listen to the quality of our shows and then fucking stop worrying about what your numbers are motherfucker why don't you bring on some quality to you whoever and whatever you are before you start asking what the listenership is like mm. and for your information it's, it's reaching around 100 a day so shut the fuck up um <laughs> 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 that's a hundred people uh but i did have a funny i, I thought it was funny um i was like well my mom listens so that's at least one that's one person that definitely listens it's fucking so growing I, though i'm so happy with those chronicle boys because they're bringing it right now honestly the shows that they are putting together are just phenomenal and us too man the guests we're getting I, i'm so happy i'm so happy with what we're doing because we are kicking ass and mister i've got congratulations for you as well Last night's Thanks. Wednesday Night Live was fucking phenomenal. Well bloody done for running that. Thank you. Thank uh, you. you I, I, 
I have never had more appreciation for you more so than like the first time <laughs> I tried doing it for, for the gauntlet, you were right there to be like, no, Tom, uh, click the left button. And you know, rightfully so you took a night off. You're always working. So the fact that you took a night off for once was amazing. I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to let the team down. I was like, I can manage this. And as I'm doing it, as I'm trying to get the whole thing going, I thought to myself, I was like, fuck, Alex had to learn this from scratch. And Alex does this every week without, you know, hesitation, without wanting of anything else. He hasn't asked for anything other than us to do our job on the side. And like so do you. No, <laughs> yeah. But thank you, man, because honestly, it's a hard job to do and you do it every week flawlessly. So thank you. I really enjoy what we do. And, and I'm, I'm loving that. I mean, we had a, a pretty good conversation with TS earlier because he was like, he said on the show last night on the live that all he does is turn up. But I don't think so. I feel like TS is like the morale boost for the team. He's like, you can fucking do it, guys. You can do it. He's, he's always there cheering for people. You know, like he does more than that. Just turn up and record. He does do a fair bit of scheduling as well for Chronicles. He'll go and get guests and stuff. But even he's asked to take part of the more business side of things. And, you know, I've got I've got this team now, people around me that are just going out and doing things. Like Bruno will be like, oh, by the way, I've got Billy West. I'm like, you fucking what now? <laughs> so we've got this amazing team. I'm just so chuffed with us, honestly. Anyway, we're sucking our own dicks. We're doing stuff, doing the whole thing we do on the Letter Lounge. We but it got- feels great, Alex. I'm just saying, like, it feels great. great. It feels so great, except when you get the powdered donut on your face and then you feel ridiculous. We're in the um, Lounge, man. There's lots of, uh, you know, on a rated fucking clunge around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, glitter, yeah. you know, stripper poles, those type of things. And I told Alex, I told Alex, I was like, I really like the 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 Vice City feel that we have. Like, I feel like I'm back in like 2000s playing Vice City right now, and Billy Jean's about to pop on. Billy Jean, those, not mine, no. those palm trees, by the way, I made myself with just shapes and shit. Like, <laughs> I just literally made them myself. That's so cool. <laughs> Did you take a dick and like put it on five times? You're like, here's the trunk, here's five dicks, it's a tree. Yeah, just uh, little moon shapes and uh, like little bits of uh, affinity. It's quite cool. I've, I've really good. enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. So, mister, uh, did you mm. watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier yet? <sighs> no. Um, saving if uh, it's been a really hectic week um, at work right now it's kind of like a big push to try to get a lot of stuff out so it really exhausts me on a, on a serious level and I've been we like we've been working on the house a whole bunch so like I've been getting yeah this, fuck those chandeliers bro they're almost gone I get all my lights are coming in I got flooring through this week that was the other like great thing because I love Saturdays. I wouldn't trade anything for Saturdays. In fact, that like I was just playing Tyler and Alex before the show. That like Saturdays became kind of like up in the air for a second because my job, the way that I provide for my family, was kind of is kind of being a little demanding about certain things, especially working on some Saturdays. But this is what's important to me. Like this is what I love. This is the thing I get to relax and I talk to one of my best friends in the world doing, and I wouldn't give it up for anything, for any amount of money. So the fact is that like it was going to become a real problem. So like I, I give up my, I don't give up. I, I have Saturdays specifically set aside for this, but because we did Nile today, we had the availability to be able to like, Hey, Saturday's a little bit more open. Now I can go finish up my floors on Saturday and then still try to get on a couple of shows. And I, I love that. I, I mm, fuck. I love this. I love podcasting, Alex. So no, I did not watch winter soldier. 
I've just seen his messages as well. I, I didn't have Messenger open while we're doing that, and I got, I fucking love this. I love you. And he got, I got a final question. Did you get your final question in? By the way, I did. A I did. I did. I did. It was exactly <laughs> that. It was exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. I knew you were gonna give it to me anyways, but like, I, I had to throw it out there because I was like, fuck, dude. Like, it, I feel like this guy has, you know, a message to say about what it's like to work in the career that you love, and I think he's the guy saying. And he gave us a fucking baller answer. So I mean, damn. <laughs> I found I found a new thing that I'm good definitely got I'm enjoying watching with the wife, by the way. That Ooh. is like probably one of the most it's one of the most brilliant shows that hit me in the nostalgia feels at the moment, and that's my name is Earl. Start watching that again. Oh yeah. I, I've actually my mom was a huge fan of my name is Earl. I mean Jason Lee is just phenomenal. Anyone that watches any Kevin Smith films knows that for a fact. But uh, my name is Earl is really, really kind of showcased his his strengths and like everyone loved that fucking show so you've already seen it i i know i saw like two or three seasons that was kind of 2005 2006 i kind of like did a lot of growing up around that sort of time so i didn't have much time mm. for tv you know finally getting out into full-time work but, but you know same thing should, I, had a, I fucking had a, a kid at 18 like so around then i, I had uh, leon and was working full-time but yeah mm. I, i've really enjoyed it because it's like it's it, it's so good at like I watch it and I see things and I'm like fucking hell do you remember that like um there's just certain things that that are in there um the laser fucking crystal thing do you remember when everyone was getting their face lasered into crystal yes big thing. <laughs> you see them everywhere stalls <laughs> up and down marketplaces and stuff like yeah that was like, I was like oh my god that's so fucking crazy uh, he starts dating this girl and um they start playing um what's that song um, what if God was one, was of, one us? of us? Yeah. <laughs> and a, and a, fucking, a fucking bedroom's kitted out in all fucking 90s shit. And I was just like, oh, this show's amazing. It's taking me right back. And it's got Ethan Suplee in it as well, which who I love. Yes. Ethan he's a that Ethan Suplee at that. Like, if you check out Ethan Suplee now, he's just fucking ripped. Um, he is no longer. Like, Go and Google him now. Google him. I dare you. She did it. And she was like, oh, yeah, cool. Maybe. Yeah, that yeah. she calls out Ethan's name later on. You're like, fuck, I knew I should have showed her that. Um, I that's why I love Buffy. That's why I love like I, I tend not to watch new shows unless it's something as amazing as WandaVision, unless it's something amazing like Modern Family, blah 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 blah. I like old shows because it brings me back to a time and place where something was going on, and especially Buffy, because it's like the mid-90s, late 90s, and you're like, dude big baggy pants oh skateboarders oh punk oh my god i love you for doing this for me it's i think it's one of the reasons i have such a hard time um going into new shows is because like i don't like feel the same way i do about the past like obviously it's the current and we're going through our own struggles and we have our own shit going on blah 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 blah. i don't feel the same way about culture i do today as i did back then because obviously i was a young boy and free and gay and now i'm who i am now so like I, I, that's why i love tv so i'm glad you're getting that from my name is earl um i'm gonna i bet you if my mom does hey mom thank you for listening um if she does listen to this um she will probably be like oh you need to watch my name is earl i've been telling you that for years tommy yeah yeah and it, what what i think is amazing about it is is that's not jason lee's natural accent like he's putting oh. the accent on and so he must have he he must have learned how to say karma karma so many fucking times to get and get it right do you know what i mean so but fair play fair play fucking love that fair play um, um i wonder if uh if uh what's his name who's the who played rick from walking dead andrew lincoln i wonder if andrew lincoln you kind of stole that for walking dead he's like karma carl 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 
He's good. Act- <laughs> he's a good actor. He's. Oh, I like him. Isn't, isn't he supposed to come back? I always kept hearing shit about him coming back to Walking Dead for like an episode. Well, or what I heard was is that they they took him out to make a movie and they were going to put yeah. him back. Like they were going to yeah. just put him back, but like in a few years later, I don't know. I feel like it that is, show's dying. I feel like it's just. It, I about to say, I I know it's on still, but like I haven't checked out what's going on in the Walking Dead in years. Like I I I don't know. Uh, the last t- last season I watched was when they had the uh, Whisperers, whatever they're called. The... I didn't see that, but I liked yeah. the comic book version of the Whisperers. Was it good? Yeah, they're diabolical as fuck. You're like, oh, I hate these people, and that's what they're supposed to be. Uh, yeah. But that was like the introduction to them. I mean, there was a problem with, they had a serious problem with them, but that was like the introduction. That was the last season I watched up there. So that, the, but that just means they got something to go back and watch. Do you know what I mean? I like that. It's true. What if they end like really strongly? And like, oh shit, I gotta go catch up really quick. Let's watch a bunch of Walking Dead. Did you watch uh, Speed? Uh, going back to it, did you watch uh, Falcon Winter Soldier? Or are you just asking me? I have watched it. Yeah, I have. Um, okay, okay spoiler free because I've not. Se- I oh, I'm going. Trust me, Alex. I'm gonna watch it. Not only are all the memes hilarious from it, but it like those characters are great. And I've seen the trailer for. It. I watched the trailer and I, I had such a hard on for that show right off the bat. And Shona wasn't there, so I couldn't express my heart on either which way so i was kind of upset but yeah yeah no um saturday night will i will pop some popcorn i'll be watching the shit out and there should be two episodes available at that point right yeah and the first one's like 50 minutes long nearly an hour long so nice you're gonna get a good watch out of it and it, i'm just so surprised by these shows i mean i shouldn't be shouldn't be it's blasphemy to say so but the mcu of like their film quality, the CGI, everything's just like as if they've made a film. It's it's so brilliant how they've done that. And, you know, there's there's new characters being brought into it. I can't spoil it. Obviously, I'm not going to. Oh, um, and we all know that Simo's going to come back into it because we've seen all the pictures of him in his purple mm. mask. Interested to see how he comes back into it. Maybe he was blipped. We don't know. Excuse me. <laughs> Think about like when Disney first announced, when Marvel Disney first announced that they were making the TV shows, and everyone's like, "How's that going to work? What do you mean? That's going to be stupid." And everything they put out so far has completely changed the mind. Like now, everyone just can't wait for the next Marvel TV show. They, they dude, this gambit that they took, man, they really are paying off in dividends. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what we've got to come for that. It's just something nice to have something on a Friday to watch. I mean, we're watching Mind Hunters. Mindhunters, yeah, uh, which is really good, by the way. If you're into serial killer stuff, just finished that. Mas- I smashed the fuck out of that. Um, and got it good to find they only made two seasons of it. I was like, oh, okay. It's like it's set in that period of time where like uh, the FBI were sort of learning how to profile serial killers. And I think that's mm. the message they were trying to get out is that this is where this began. But apparently, like, um, a few of those guys. Um, they uh, they wanted to go live in Pittsburgh for like four years. And I was thinking, is Pittsburgh really that bad? They were kind of like, nah, we're done. We're fucking done. <laughs> Amazing. My sister lives in Pittsburgh. She never once said anything about serial killers. Oh, I'm disappointed. But Batman's there. I don't understand how there's so many serial killers with Batman being there all the time. I saw that show, movie. It's Pittsburgh. So what's going on? I don't know. Uh, Tom, do you want to tell people about our website by any chance? 
I am so glad you said the word website. Hey, guys, if you look up the word website in the dictionary right this second, you are going to come across, you know, a word, but you're also going to come across a picture of a guy named Pete White. Now, let me tell you something about Pete White. Pete White develops websites for people. He is amazing at his job, and all of his people over at WebOrch do a fantastic job. In fact, if you go to usugpodcastingnetwork.com uh, right now, you can see our website, which was de- developed and designed by weborchard.com. Now, back in the early 1300s, um, Pete White, you know, the immortal, he was rowing across the Atlantic in a boat. I think that's actually where Niall got his idea from. I think he, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, Pete White did it um, with some Vikings. And when they were not, you know, pillaging and plunging and doing all that stuff, he was coming up with the idea for what he is doing right now, many, many years later, which is developing websites for people. If you have an idea, if you have a platform, if you have anything that you wish you had more of an online presence to have with to help showcase these things, you need a website. And guess what, guys? If you have the time to build a website then you have too much fucking time on your hands i'm a busy guy alex is a busy guy we can't just build websites every day at the fucking drop of a hat we have children we have lives dude you can't fucking do it it's too much time so, but guess what that's what the people are webwatch.com are for they are going to build you a beautiful functioning website that's going to help showcase all of who you are so whether you are an etsy person whether you sell fucking anti-comic books whether you just want to show your pictures of your cats whatever it might be this is what the website is for and if you reach out to webworcher.com they are going to build you an amazing website that when you're done with you be like fuck i am so glad there's a person like pete white and the people at webworcher.com to do this for me because i i would never be able to achieve this by myself beautiful every time by the way i spoke to pete yesterday I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, by the way, uh, I, I might have to run this audio by you before we release it as a feature. Thing. We've got like 10 minutes of Tom Bruno just literally sucking your dick and telling these amazing stories about the, uh, the you know, the... Uh, the, the, the mythology of oh, fucking white news like ah, okay he looks genuinely quite nervous so are we gonna be, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it epic I'm gonna get some proper like laid back sexy music behind it and slow you down maybe in places and just make it like the Pete White fucking thing <laughs> 10 whole minutes who doesn't want to listen to that fucking hell yes did you pop in did you uh, did you hear last night's where I was talking about Apollo thirteen? <laughs> I don't know where that's said, popped. By the way, I think it was David that was like, "You don't want to travel with Tom Hanks." I was like, "Fuck it, eh?" Dude, fuck it. He's so brave. Oh my god, Alex! On this amazing website that we have, fucking, what can you see there? Uh, you, I've just accidentally deleted pictures from um, uh, that we had, but yeah, we we have. Lots of amazing shows that you can watch on our, our our network. We have this show, which is What's the Difference podcast with me and Tom, that you've just watched. You've just watched that one. You also have Yusuk Chronicles with Jamie Westwood and Tom Stevens absolutely knocking it out of the park at the moment. Um, and you definitely need to go and watch that show because they're getting some amazing guests. Um, the download numbers have just they've tripled over the last few weeks because people love that show. So if you haven't heard it yet, make sure you go listen to it. We also have the Weekly Bazaar. I've got a slide for this one. Uh, Ooh, <laughs> so look at that fancy. got the Weekly Bazaar <laughs> Season 2, and we've got Donnie Gates coming on. <gasps> the show, which is going to be live. I love Donnie. 
I love Donnie too. We're going to talk about guns and stuff. No, I'm going to I'm going to challenge him. I'm going to be like, see if we can go a whole hour about you talking about a gun once, and see if we can do it. That'd be amazing. I feel like that's that's probably a, a, quite an aggressive challenge to throw at Donnie, but I don't know. He's a good guy. He's a good but, guy. Now, if he talks about his arms, does that count? He's like, well, I got guns right here, Alex. And then does that count? Yo, 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 baby, are you a veterinary? Why? Because these swans are sick, yo. Oh. Um, I have uh, never heard that one. That is fucking amazing. My oh God. God. Uh, we also have Wednesday Night Live, which is hosted by Tom Bruno, who you see here, or Tom Stevens. They they take it in turns and uh, giving you a bit of that. Damn. And uh, they do a great job. We've played things like Owl's Game and The Gauntlet. The Gauntlet's been retired from that show for a bit so we can concentrate on other things. We yes. also have this great idea, which we are still doing, by the way. If you're listening to this thinking, when's I going to get on with fucking Incinerator? I'm still going to do it, man. I still really want to do the Incinerator. We've got a few podcasters that have got in touch, and we're going to be doing interviews later to find out find a host for the Incinerator, which is a mm. bit like Room 101, but you suck style, baby. We're going to find things that can get thrown into the Incinerator forever, and we want someone to... Uh, Look after said scenario. Yeah, we've got some good shit yeah. coming up, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, in fact, we have amazing guests like Billy West. I don't know if we mentioned this a couple times, but we're very excited for the next week's interview. Um, and we have um, a, a laundry list of great guests. So you guys need to keep your eyes on the website. Keep your eyes on everything. Tell your friends about us. Tell your grandmother. Tell everyone. Just be like, hey, guys, I think that even if you don't like this episode per se, you're going to like something that they do because we talk to everyone. So it's not just our heroes. It's your heroes, too. Definitely just, you know, keep your eyes peeled. Good job. We've got two guests we need to try and squeeze in as well. I don't know how we're going to do it because uh, we're booked up now probably till May, but we might have some bonus episodes. I really want to fit them in. Wales Interactive, I think they're called. Uh, they got in touch with me uh, the other day. They have uh, released a video game uh, for mm. Xbox, for PlayStation. Um, it's um, a bit like what the uh, Boulder Dash, the, uh, the Black Mirror thing did, where it was like an interactive movie uh, where you can mm. choose decisions what to do uh they're releasing that on the 30th they got in touch with me to see if we could do something I said, yes we're going to be meeting up at nerdy cafe uh tom matthews what a fucking g he is i was like i need a venue where i can be socially distanced and do this shit he was like come nerdy mate and i was like yes we'll do that then so we're going to be speaking to them i want to get them on you suck too we're going to speak about video yes. games who the fuck doesn't want them on their show we also want to speak to a host want to speak to, to trevor wilkins from um stage and studio services as well in over here in shropshire because this guy has been, um, I need to call him a roadie then, but he's a, a, a stage tech that owns his own business, has traveled the world, and he's done this stage tech shit for some of the biggest bands in the world. He was telling me a story just, just off the cuff. Oh, yeah, the, I remember the lights going out and Little Richard was on stage. I was like, Little fucking Richard? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he couldn't see the keys of his keyboard, so he was feeling about, and he just started making a song about how he needed lights to sing, and everybody started singing along. I was like... You work with Little Rick? Oh, yeah, so we want to get... Yeah, that's hilarious. That's amazing. So, anyway, look, we better get out of here because I've run out of time. I've got Kate Wallinger to go and uh, speak to in a sec. Um, this has been What's the Difference Podcast. I've been Alex Whiteley. And I am Tom Bruno. Uh, we fucking love you guys. Peace out, guys. When it comes to culture either side of the Atlantic, no one does it better. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you You Sucks What's the Difference podcast with Alex Whiteley and Tom Bruno.